I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A few hours northwest of London, in the West Midlands of England, there's a town called Darleston. Decades ago, Darleston was home to miners and metal workers who powered England's industrial machine. Today, it's a haven for immigrants from South Asia and East Africa who've built new communities of their own. This is the place where Jared Chowdhury grew up, in a conservative Muslim enclave. His father is from Saudi Arabia, his mother from Bangladesh. Early on, Jared says, he just accepted the customs and traditions in his community— Really, there was no alternative. Very religious area. There's about three, maybe four uh, mosques around where I lived. The culture life there is the Islamic culture. Most times of the day, as a young, I can remember hearing the call for prayers. The problem was, Jared didn't really fit into the culture he was raised in. Later, he would come to understand that he was gay. But as a kid, all he knew was that he felt different from the other people around him. What did you think about when you were young? Did you think you might stay in that area? Like, what did you think about the future you wanted? Home was where my parents was. But where I lived, even though I grew up there, I feel like I still didn't belong there. So I didn't call it home because I didn't know who I was at the time. Not until many years later, after a fateful encounter on a park bench, would Jared come to truly know himself. At perhaps the lowest moment of his life, he would find just the change he needed. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. begin Jared's story nearly 25 years ago, in the late 1990s. And let me give you a warning before we get too far in. This story does contain discussion of suicide. But I'll also tell you, it ends in great joy. So Jared is about six or seven years old. It's a rainy day. He goes off to school like usual. In the afternoon, he and his schoolmates head to a nearby pool for swimming lessons. The kids pair up, Jared's swimming buddy turns out to be a boy he doesn't know. That's when I first experienced this feeling that there's another person there. I just, like, had a burst of, like, emotional feelings. Like, I felt warm. I felt, like, it's, it's so hard to describe. I felt really, like, light. 
that's all I can remember, just feeling light, I was so happy. We even like held hands at one point and we were just laughing and I just felt like, oh, this, this is great. Like, I know he's not my friend, but I'm feeling something towards him and I feel so happy. I think I kissed him on his cheek and then I just laughed and we laughed and we got changed and we came back to school. The rest of the afternoon, Jared's head is in the clouds. He gets home and goes straight to his mom. He's so excited to tell her about what happened, who he met, how happy he feels. She was in complete shock. I'd, like, her face froze. I'm like, did I say something wrong? What did I do? And then she didn't say much. She just went quiet and went straight upstairs to my dad. My dad came downstairs and he got really, really angry. I'm like, why are you getting angry for? Like, what did I do, dad? I didn't do anything wrong. I just kissed the boy on the cheek and held his hand. Jared's dad drags him back to school and demands that Jared explain to the headmaster what he's done. But Jared is confused. He thinks, I haven't done anything. Then the headmaster pulled me to a side. She goes, can I just have a word with him? And she's told me, just keep this towards yourself, Sally, or secret. Jared gets the message loud and clear. It's wrong to have feelings like this, and it's best if you keep them covered up. I should say here that in Jared's Muslim culture, romantic or sexual relationships of any kind among young people are strictly forbidden. But in the stories Jared remembers hearing at the mosque, the worst thing you could be was gay. They got stung to death, they got killed, they were named in hell, and they were the most forbidden thing in the whole Islam. That's what was glued into my head as a young child. So Jared spends a good chunk of his childhood isolating himself in his room, trying to make sense of all this, trying to reconcile these cultural messages with what he's truly feeling. His family wants him to play sports like the other boys, but Jared is secretly singing and dancing behind his closed bedroom door. At school, other students bully him. They throw leftover food and bottles and chewing gum at him. They call him homophobic slurs he's never even heard before. He starts looking for answers on the internet. Then I searched up in Google, what does homosexual mean? Then when I read it, like, strong attraction towards the um, same sex. And then I looked at myself, and I could just remember, hold on, is that me? Then I have flashbacks to what my mosque teacher said, like, if anyone is homosexual, you shouldn't belong. Around 15 or 16, Jared suffers what he describes as a mental breakdown. He attempts suicide. His mom asks him, what's going on? I didn't tell her exactly what happened. I just told her, I'm just stressed. From then on, my mom was really walking on pins and needles around me. Jared doesn't feel like he can explain to his family what he's going through. They wouldn't understand. He doesn't even really understand at this point. His parents have already arranged for him to marry a girl from a Bangladeshi family. That is the expectation. When it comes time for college, around 2011, Jared tells his family that he's going to study IT, 
information technology. But that's not true. He secretly starts to study performing arts, dancing, singing, and acting. He's still living at home at this point. At school, he finally has friends who accept him. He no longer feels like he has to hide his personality. He doesn't publicly come out as gay, but he's starting to understand who he is. And yet, Jared remains deeply conflicted. His whole life he's been told that being gay is wrong, that it's in violation of his faith, and that's really hard for him to reckon with. I keep thinking about, oh, I'm going to hell. That's why I keep thinking, like, hold on, I'm doing something wrong. I shouldn't be looking at another boy. I shouldn't be doing this. I was torn between who I was, my sexuality, and my religion side. It's like I had to pick. In his 20s, Jared suffers another breakdown. He tries to take his life again. He lands back in the hospital. I was arguing with all the nurses and doctors because I didn't want to wake up. I'm like, I don't want to wake up to this hell I'm already living in. Like, if hell is going to be that bad after I die, the hell I'm living in right now is worse. On the day of his release from the hospital, in March of 2016, Jared's mom offers to pick him up, but he puts her off and says he won't be out till later. He discharges himself and begins the long walk back home. But Jared doesn't go straight home. He walks to a park in the middle of Darleston. It's like a town green, ringed with two- and three-story brick flats. He finds a single bench, all by itself, and he sits down. I just remember walking to the bench, like, really angry, not with myself, really angry with God, really. I was swearing at God, saying, like, if you wanted me to be a Muslim, why'd you make me gay for? Like, why are you punishing me for? Why are you putting me through this test for? I feel like an outsider. I don't feel like I don't belong to my family. I don't belong to my community. I wanted to become that bench. It's weird to explain this. Like, that bench is left by themselves. Like, I just wanted to become that bench. So no one can bother me. No one can do anything. That's the moment where I actually prayed, like, I prayed to God, and then that's why I begged him to show me a sign or show me something that could make me understand, like, am I meant to be here? Was that the first time you'd talked to God in that way, asking these questions? Yeah, that's the first time I had a strong connection towards God. Just to remember just praying, closing my eyes, looking down, just praying, a deep conversation. Almost like a meditation. I felt like I was levitating. I felt light. I just didn't hear anything. It was complete silence. At the very same moment, 18-year-old Sean Brogan is rushing to work after a night spent clubbing with friends. He's part of a local theater group at the Darleston Town Hall. He decides to cut through the park to save time. This is Sean. I was just walking, minding my own business, listening to my music. But it was just the corner of my eye, I seen someone just sit there on the bench. At first I was like, mm, someone just enjoying their day, just ignore them, I'll carry on walking. 
So I sort of walked a little bit more, but then I, something, I don't know what it was, something just told me to turn around and look. So I turned around and looked. And I just seen him sitting there with his head down. So I thought, mm, maybe something's wrong. Sean walks toward the bench where Jared is sitting. At first, Sean keeps his distance, thinking maybe this guy is drunk or on drugs. But after watching him for a few minutes, Sean notices that this stranger, Jared, is clearly upset. Sean can see that he's crying. Here's Jared. In the background, I hear someone mumbling, like, are you all right? That's the first thing I heard. Are you all right? The sun is shining right in Jared's face, so he really can't see who's talking to him. Sean sits down on the bench. Jared remembers Sean leaning over and lightly touching his hand. I felt goosebumps around my whole body and felt warmth. And then that's why I properly looked at him. And the first thing I noticed was his blue eyes. At that moment, I'm like, thank you, God. I asked you to show me a sign and you show me a sign. And then someone approached me and gave me comfort that I've been yearning for for like 15 years. I've been yearning for someone to hold my hand and tell me like, it's okay. Because that's the next thing he said. He goes, it's okay. Jared tells Sean, whom he's just met, that he's actually not okay, that he just tried to take his own life. Jared tells him that he's gay and that he doesn't feel like he belongs in this world. He came home and said, guess what? I'm like, what? You go, I'm gay too. I'm like, what? No way. And obviously I felt an instant connection. I'm like, that's amazing. The first person I meet is also gay as well. So he can fully understand exactly what I'm going through. Sean does understand. He understands pretty well, actually. And then I just thought to myself, I thought, I know what it's like to be locked away from your sexuality. And I thought, maybe I'll just give him some advice and let's see how he goes. It was that connection. I don't know what it was. It's hard to explain. I've never really had a connection with a stranger like that before. Sean had grown up Catholic in the Irish traveller community. He'd spent part of his childhood in Lincolnshire, north of London, but mostly they traveled from place to place in a big caravan. They didn't interact much with outsiders. Sean says he knew he was gay from age 11, but he felt like it wasn't something he could talk about at home. He knew his dad would not accept having a gay son. It wasn't until Sean was older, after his dad had passed away, that he'd felt comfortable coming out. For me, I was like locked. I was locked into this community and I was locked into myself. I wasn't being myself. It's like... There was a key to unlocking me, but I don't know what it was. When they meet on that bench, Jared and Sean feel this immediate bond they're both eager to explore. Sean calls his work and says he can't come in. He blames a family issue. He tells Jared, let's go see a movie to take your mind off things for a while. They settle on a film called The Boy. It's a horror flick. Here's Jared. When I was walking towards the cinema, I just remembering feeling like I was so happy. I had that feeling again. Like, I just remember, like, it's like almost flashbacks when I was six, maybe seven years old, when I first had the feelings in the swimming pool with that stranger. And I'm like, this is how I'm supposed to be all the time, feeling like this. Their story continues after this quick break. 
Okay, we're back. So just at the moment, Jared is asking for divine intervention. Sean arrives on the park bench next to him. Jared figures Sean must be some kind of guardian angel. They see the movie, and then the scene on the sidewalk after is straight out of a rom-com. They're parting ways, and Jared thinks, I can't let this person just disappear from my life. So he turns around, chases Sean down, and gets his number. Jared and Sean start talking in the spring of 2016. They meet for hidden dates. Jared has a big family and can't risk anybody finding out. They take walks in the woods where no one will see them. They eat furtive meals at restaurants. They catch buses together to random places, but they always sit apart, privately texting to make sure they get off at the same stop. Jared had actually come out to his mom before meeting Sean, but he says his family was still treating his sexuality as something they could fix. His father had even taken him on a pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia to try to cleanse him of sin. A couple of months after their initial meeting, Jared decides he's had enough snaking around. It's time to tell his family about Sean. I told my mom, like, Mom, I'm in love with someone. She goes, oh, okay. Like, Mom, it's a boy. And then she started crying and stuff like that. She, and then my dad got angry again. And like, Mom, this is what I want to do. If you're not going to accept me being happy with another boy, then I'm leaving. Jared leaves the family home. He goes to stay with friends. He sleeps on the streets. Eventually, he gets his own flat. He doesn't speak to his parents for months. Jared says his parents still held out hope that his sexuality would just be a phase, that he would mature out of it. But Jared has other ideas. In the late spring of 2016, he decides it's time to take the next step with Sean. He quietly goes to Sean's mom and asks for permission to marry him. She not only says yes, she gives Jared a family ring to use for the proposal. That June... On Sean's 19th birthday, and three months after they'd met, Jared invites Sean out for a meal. Afterward, they go to one of their favorite places, a secluded spot on a riverbank in a nearby town. We're laughing, we're just talking about how we first met and how things have progressed, how I completely feel 100% myself near him. I don't have to feel like a ghost anymore, like I feel alive. We did a bit of food fight, like with our three chips at each other, and we were just laughing as for that. And then I said, let's go take a walk. And so we took a walk across the riverbank. It was at night, about seven, eight. It was quite dark. I remember when I just sat next to him in the riverbank, and then I asked him, would you be mine forever? Then I proposed to him, and then he said, yeah. <laughs> Gradually and carefully, Jared starts talking to his family again. He works up the courage to tell them about his engagement to Sean. This time, his mom's reaction surprises him. At that time, she was like, you know what? You do you. She said that to me. She goes, you do you. 
She cried and said, I'm so sorry for not fully understanding exactly what you've been going through. I feel like a bad mother. I should have known your pain. I was so worried about you burning in hell and everything like that, and what people are saying, what the community was saying about us and about our family, the shame. And then she goes, you know what? If it's what makes you happy, then go for it. Go for it. Sean started to come to the house, speaking to my parents, and then Sean asked my mom, like, can I please marry the most amazing person in the world? And then my mom said, yeah, just please, just look after him. Like, do a mother's job. Like, just look after him. Like, I couldn't fully understand that part, but I know with you, you can make him fully understand who he is. Because I don't still fully understand it, but you can help him shine. Jared and Sean get married in a small ceremony at the local registry office in June of 2017. Jared is 24 and Sean is 20. Sean's family comes to the wedding. My sisters, my brothers, and my mom, they was really supportive. She turned it was my mom that actually gave me away as well. So that was the most proudest moment in life. Jared wants his family there too, but they decide not to come out of concern for their safety. Ever since Jared had come out as gay, he and his family had been the target of threats and vandalism. But Jared and Sean decide they want to share their story even more widely. They want to send a message to other people out there like them who may be scared. So they approach a local newspaper. This is Jared. And I felt like, you know what, I had to do something about it. There's so many hidden gay Muslims out there, so I'm afraid to come out. If people can see that I'm gay and Muslim, I'm gay and married, I'm happy that I don't have to be hidden. I want other people to see my story and encourage them that they're not alone. News of their wedding makes more of a splash than they'd anticipated. Same-sex marriage had been legal in England for a few years, but Jared is reportedly the first openly gay Muslim man to be married in the UK. That story gets picked up by news organizations around the world. This crush of attention only increases the threats they receive, both online and in person. Remember, Jared and Sean are in a small town, so it's pretty hard to hide. Here's Jared again. The worst one was we got acid attack threats, saying next time we see you and Sean in the street, we're going to throw acid in your face. Like, what you're doing disgusting. You are destroying Islam. You are destroying what means to be Muslim. You shouldn't be encouraging this. Even if like, we went to town, we went to shopping, these people would swear at us, threaten us there and then, saying, like, you're dead. You're dead. What wait is coming, is coming. How did that affect the first year or two of your marriage? It was difficult because we were on edge, we were really anxious, we were scared to go out. Well, I was more scared than Sean, because Sean gave me the strength, because Sean was really, really stronger than me. He would hold my hand for everyone and say, come on, we're doing this. You don't have to be afraid. You've been afraid for nearly your whole life. It's time for you to be yourself. Jared and Sean call the police, who help them manage all these threats. 
they're given security cameras, a device to notify police immediately in an emergency. They even get a special fireproof box to catch their mail in case someone tried to slip a petrol bomb through the mail slot. Meanwhile, Jared and Sean are basically locked up inside this small apartment all day. All these stresses lead to bickering over small things. It's a lot for their young marriage. Eventually, they decide it's time to leave town. In the summer of 2021, they move to the country, to a little bungalow surrounded by woods and farmland and cows. It's a long drive to the nearest store. But the change has been very good for them. Here's Sean. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the countryside or the smell of the farm. But it's made our marriage even more secure and we more feel safe where we are. Jared may have moved to the countryside, away from the community he grew up in. But that has not meant hiding from the world or pulling back from his faith. Far from it. That day on the bench six years ago, Jared felt like God actually answered his prayers. And this strengthened his faith. For a couple of years, I was separating that in my head. Like, I'm religious, I'm gay, but now they're both together. My faith is still strong, and I think my love for Sean makes my faith grow. and makes me a better person. And I always believe that everything happens for a reason. Sean has been there every step of the way. In the bungalow, he turned their spare bedroom into a prayer room for Jared. He painted it all white. He got a prayer rug and a copy of the Quran. Even though he doesn't go to a mosque, Jared maintains all the Muslim practices. He prays and washes himself five times a day. He keeps a halal diet. He doesn't drink alcohol. This has meant a major lifestyle adjustment for Sean, who used to very much enjoy his bacon sandwiches and drinks out on the town. Sean does say he's living a lot healthier than he used to. Sean also says he has a relationship with Jared's family now. When I do visit his family, I show respect when I go there as well. I won't enter the house if they're praying. I'll take my shoes off or if his mom's... If his mom's not, like, um, fully covered or wearing the hijab, then I will walk out the room and go into another room. It's just out to respect, really. I've got to learn a lot. Sean and Jared also have continued to use their story and their strength to help others. They run a support group on Facebook for people around the world who are gay and may be struggling with their religion, just like Jared was. Jared usually works with other Muslims in the support group. Sean takes everyone else. This is Sean. It's all private and everyone can talk to us private. We've had so many emails, we've had texts to say that um, people's come out and people's getting married. And it's just amazing to hear that something that we did, even though we had negativity for most of it, has actually come out positive. And that just, that as us, makes us our marriage even stronger. What is the message that you hope people get from your story? That it's completely 100% okay to be gay and Muslim or gay and any religious, because people who are in that group should know that they can be themselves and be anything else they want to be. For Jared, he grew up believing that life was presenting him with this big choice that he was forced to pick between being gay or being Muslim. All these years later, he's made his choice. He's chosen both. 
ever since I got married to Sean, ever since I said the word I do, I feel like I've been reborn. I'm gay, I'm Muslim, and I'm finally 100% myself. So these five years, married to Sean, is the five years that actually lived my life. That's when my life began. Jared and Sean's Facebook group can be found by searching Gay and Religious Support Group. You can also find Jared on YouTube at Jared's Journey. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health challenges or suicidal thoughts, you can reach the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988 anywhere in the U.S. That's 988. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Amy Padula, Caitlin Harrop, and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can always send us a letter, we are an advice column, to loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. I wouldn't have thought about the dietary um, changes and just big sacrifice. It is. It's been hard, but I got through it. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.